Lesson 1 for December 27 to January 2 is titled The Call of Wisdom. Sabbath afternoon, December 27. Our memory text this week is Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's read that again, Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Before we go any further, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're going to look at one of the most fascinating books in the whole of the Bible, the book of Proverbs. And as we do so, we want your Holy Spirit to guide us. May as we look at the poetry, may as we look at the various idioms used, see Jesus, see your love, see the way your Spirit works in our lives. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. From Eden onward, the root of human tragedy lies in wrong choices. As Ellen White writes in Education, page 25, Man lost because he chose to listen to the deceiver, rather than to him who is truth, who alone has understanding. By the mingling of evil with good, his mind had been confused. End of quote. The book of Proverbs is all about helping us to make right choices, to choose the way of God and not that of the deceiver. The father or the mother, speaking to their son, not only warns him against wrong choices, but also encourages him to make the right ones. This is so important because the choices we make are literally matters of life and death. The first three chapters of Proverbs illustrate this method of education. After having explained the purpose of the book, to know wisdom, in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 2, and having laid down the motto of the book, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, in verse 7, the author moves back and forth from warning us against listening to foolishness to urging us to respond to the call of heavenly wisdom. Sunday, December 28, the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, the title, The Proverbs of Solomon, the Son of David, occurs in verse 1 and establishes a link between this proverb and 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 to 14. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. And we'll compare that with 1 Kings chapter 3 verses 5 to 14. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. 
Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord, that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honour, so that there shall not be any one like you among the kings all your days. So, if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. In Kings, as in the book of Proverbs, Solomon is presented as a son seeking wisdom from God. In addition to both referring to Solomon as the son of David, the two texts share significant common wording, understand, wisdom, judgment. Not only do these parallels confirm Solomon as the one behind the composition of the book, they also show that Proverbs is dealing with the human quest for wisdom from God. Question. Read Proverbs, chapter 1, and verse 7. What is wisdom? What is the fear of the Lord? And how do these two concepts relate to each other? Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom here is defined as a religious experience. It is related to the fear of the Lord. This important concept of the Hebrew religion is key to Proverbs. Not only does it occur repeatedly, but it also frames the entire book. We read about it in Proverbs 31, verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The fear of the Lord has nothing to do with the superstitious and childish fear of divine punishment. Instead, it should be understood as the acute consciousness of God's personal presence, at all times, and everywhere. The fear of the Lord had characterized the people's reaction to God's revelation at Sinai, in Exodus 19 and, and in 20, just as it explained their commitment to be faithful and to love God in response to His covenant with them. Let's look at Exodus 19, verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day, in the morning, that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And chapter 20, verse 20, And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. In short, to fear God means to be faithful to God and to love Him. 
The phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, means that wisdom originates in this fear. The Hebrew word for beginning, R-E-S-H-I-T, points to the first word introducing the creation story in Genesis 1.1. The first lesson of wisdom, then, deals with understanding that God is our Creator, the One who gives us life and breath, and that He is always present. A love of God and justice and redemption. Let's read that in John 3.16, Psalm 89.14, and Hebrews 9 verse 12. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Psalm 89 verse 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. And Hebrews 9.12, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So to finish the day, we are told to love God and also to fear him. How do these two concepts relate to your own experience with the Lord? Monday, December 29, True Education Question. Read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 19. What two contrasting ways of education are presented in these verses? What's the basic message here, not just for parents, but for everyone who fears the Lord? Let's begin at verse 8, right through to verse 19. My son, hear the instruction of your father, And do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head, and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood, let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause, let us swallow them alive like Sheol, and whole like those who go down to the pit." We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil. And they shall haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird." But they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Education is, first of all, a family matter, and true education comes first and foremost from the parents. In these verses, this education is called instruction and even law. The Hebrew word for law, Torah, means direction. The parents are to point their children in the right direction. In contrast, the other type of education is not identified, not given a name. It is simply acknowledged as the voice of sinners, which leads in the wrong direction. Also, the words, my son, 
not to be taken in a gender-exclusive sense, are repeated many times, emphasising parental instruction. Each parent, your father, your mother, is clearly identified in the singular and is personally involved, while the other camp is an anonymous plural, sinners. In the Adventist home, page 182, we read, In his wisdom the Lord has decreed that the family shall be the greatest of all educational agencies. It is in the home that the education of the child is to begin. Here is his first school. Here with his parents as instructors, he is to learn the lessons that are to guide him throughout life. The educational influences of the home are a decided power for good or for evil. If the child is not instructed aright here, Satan will educate him through agencies of his choosing. End of quote. The best argument on behalf of family education is its results. These are the inequalities of character which are like ornaments on the head and around the neck. In the Middle Eastern culture, precious collars and bracelets were passed on from parents to children as a heritage of value. Education matters more, though, than material riches. The time spent with our children will be of much greater value for them than the time spent at our businesses. Also, the reference to the neck and the head, which is the individual's face, suggests that education will shape his or her personality. In the way of fools or sinners, only the feet as mentioned in verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them, keep your foot from their path, are mentioned, as if the wayward son had lost his identity. So to finish today, how can we learn to resist the temptations that culture, society, friends, or even family might throw our way? Tuesday, December 30, The Call of Wisdom Question. Read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. How is wisdom presented here, and what are we being told? Verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. While the sinners lie in wait and lurk secretively, as we read earlier in the chapter, wisdom calls aloud outside, in verse 20, cries out in the chief concourses, in verse 21, and speaks her words in the same verse. Wisdom is here personified, and her offer is given to the man and the woman on the street. It is for everyone in the real business of life. Amid the noise and rancour of so many products and so many sellers, the call of wisdom must be loud, otherwise she would not be heard against the clamour of so many other voices. Question. Read chapter 1, verses 22 to 32. What is the result of rejecting wisdom? Beginning at verse 22, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. 
Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm, and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way, and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. The reason that people reject wisdom has nothing to do with wisdom itself, and everything to do with the character of those who reject her. These are described as arrogant and disdainful in verse 25 and verse 30, as if you know better. The implication in this wisdom is for the naive and the simple. And yet those who reject wisdom are simple and naive. They are fools who hate knowledge, as it said in verse 22 and verse 29. Those who reject wisdom will reap the fruit of their rejection. Having refused to choose the fear of the Lord, they will have to be content with themselves. They will be full with their own fancies, as it says in verse 31. When we reject wisdom from above, we often end up with the fables and lies that we fabricate for ourselves, or the fables and lies that others fabricate for us and that we so readily accept. In this way, we replace God with idols. Ironically, those who despise religion, mocking those they judge as simple and naive, often are superstitious in their own way, placing value on the most fleeting and useless of things that, in the end, can never satisfy the most basic needs of the heart. And so to finish today, read verse 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Given the context of what came before, what promise and hope are found here for us? How is this promise manifested in your own experience? Wednesday, December 31, The Benefit of Wisdom Question. Read Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through to 5. What are the conditions for understanding the fear of the Lord? What choices do we have to make in this matter? Let's begin at verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Three times the discourse is introduced with the conjunction if. 
marking three stages in the progression of education. The first if introduces the passive stage of listening, that is, simply being receptive and attentive to the words of wisdom. We read that in verses 1 and 2. The second if introduces the active response of crying and asking for wisdom, as in verse 3. The third if introduces passionate involvement in seeking and searching for wisdom, as we would for hidden treasures, as we read in verse 4. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through to 9. What are the conditions for understanding righteousness? What is God's responsibility in the acquisition of wisdom? Proverbs 2, beginning at verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. Note that the phrase, the Lord gives, in verse 6, responds to the phrase, you will find the knowledge of God, in verse 5. Wisdom, like salvation, is a gift from God. As much as the first paragraph described the human process, this paragraph describes the divine work. He gives wisdom, he stores wisdom, and he guards and preserves the way of the wise. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 2, verse 10 through to 22. What happens when wisdom has finally found a home in the heart? Beginning at verse 10, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, and who are devious in their paths to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death, and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness." For the upright will dwell in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. When wisdom enters your heart, it marks the final stage of conversion. Not only will we enjoy the knowledge of the Lord, but it will be a pleasant experience to our souls, as it said in verse 10. We will also be protected from the way of evil, as in verse 12, and from the seduction of evil, in verse 16. We will walk in the path of righteousness, as it said in verse 20. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 2, verses 13 and 17. What is the first step of wickedness, and where does it lead? Verse 13, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the way of darkness. And verse 17, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Though we are sinners, 
we don't have to fall into evil. The ones depicted as on the wrong path must have first left the right path. Wickedness, then, is understood first of all as a lack of faithfulness. Sin begins subtly and innocently. But before long, the sinner not only does wickedly, but also enjoys it. So to finish today, what should it tell you about yourself if, heaven forbid, you enjoy doing evil? Or even worse, if you don't even deem it evil anymore? Thursday, January 1. Do not forget. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. What is the trap of being wise in one's own eyes? Well, let's begin at verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favour and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. And verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. To be wise in one's own eyes will lead to the illusion that one does not need God to be wise. This is a hopeless situation. Chapter 26, verse 12 reads, There is more hope for a fool than for them. Again, wisdom is described as a religious commitment. To be wise means to keep God's commandments, as it said in verse 1, to display mercy and truth, verse 3, and to trust in the Lord, verse 5. Wisdom implies an intimate relationship with God. Note the repeated reference to the heart in verses 1, 3, and 5, the seat of our personal response to God's influence. The heart was already mentioned in Proverbs 2, verse 10, as the place wisdom would enter. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. What reward comes with the gift of wisdom? Beginning at verse 13, happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honour. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace." She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Wisdom is associated with life and health in verses 2, 8, 16, 18, and 22. One of the most suggestive images is the tree of life, verse 18, a promise repeated several times in the book. In Proverbs 11.30 we read, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. And chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, 
It is a tree of life. And chapter 15, verse 4, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. This metaphor alludes to the Garden of Eden. This promise does not mean that the acquisition of wisdom will provide eternal life. Instead, the idea is that the quality of life with God, which our first parents enjoyed in Eden, can, to some measure, be recovered. When we live with God, we get some inkling, some hints of Eden. Even better, we learn to hope in the promised recovery of this lost kingdom. Let's look at Daniel chapter 7 and verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom for ever and ever. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 3 verses 19 and 20. Why is the need for wisdom so vital? The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. The sudden reference to the creation story seems to be out of place in this context. Yet the use of wisdom at creation reinforces the argument of verse 18, which associates wisdom with the tree of life. If God used wisdom to create the heavens and the earth, wisdom is not a trivial matter. The scope of wisdom is cosmic, going beyond the limits of our earthly existence. Wisdom concerns our eternal life as well. This lesson is implied in the reference to the tree of life, reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. This perspective is also contained in the promise that concludes our passage, verse 35 of chapter 3, The wise shall inherit glory. Friday, January 2. From the book Education, we read in page 197 and 198, the youth need to understand the deep truth underlying the Bible statement that with God is the fountain of life, Psalm 36, verse 9. Not only is he the originator of all, but he is the life of everything that lives. It is his life that we receive in the sunshine, in the pure sweet air, in the food which builds up our bodies and sustains our strength. It is by his life that we exist, hour by hour, moment by moment. Except as perverted by sin, all his gifts tend to life, to health and joy. And from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 3, page 1156. Many cherish the impression that devotion to God is detrimental to health and to cheerful happiness in the social relationships of life. But those who walk in the path of wisdom and holiness find that godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. They are alive to the enjoyment of life's real pleasures. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, what is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? 
How can someone have a lot of knowledge and not wisdom? After all, who doesn't know personally or at least know about some very knowledgeable people who seem to have no wisdom? Two, dwell more on the idea of the fear of the Lord. If there is no fear in love, as it says in 1 John 4.18, how can we fear the Lord and still love him? How do we reconcile the tension between justice and love in the fear of the Lord? And three, why is being wise in one's own eyes such a dangerous state to be in, especially when we consider how corrupt the human heart is and how easy it is for us to rationalise just about any behaviour we want? Think of those who have rationalised the worst of behaviours. How can we make sure we don't do the same things. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled From Hump Tulips to Alec Negek Life was hard in the western Washington town of Hump Tulips during the 1930s. Located on the Hump Tulips River on the Olympic Peninsula, the town had seen better days for the commercial fishermen trying to earn a living. One family, the Moody's, found life so difficult in Hump Tulips that they decided to follow Mrs. Moody's brother to Alaska, where, according to the brother, the fishing was good and there was money to be made. The family of six packed up and travelled the two and a half thousand miles from Hump Tulips to the Canadian border, then on through British Columbia and the Yukon, before heading west to the frontier town of Dillingham, Alaska. From Dillingham, they headed up the Wood River, finally arriving at the remote shores of Lake Aleknagak. Although Aleknagak is a Yupik word, meaning wrong way home, the Moody family found a good place to settle beside the lake, where they built a small log cabin. Mr. Moody and the eldest son took their large fishing boat down into Bristol Bay, home of the world's largest source of red salmon, while Mrs. Moody cared for the three younger children at home. Sadly, just a few months after settling into their new home, tragedy struck the Moody family. As the father and eldest son headed up the river from Dillingham, somehow both men ended up in the fast current and drowned, leaving the mother to raise the two younger sons and a daughter. Being a family of faith, the mother continued to gather the children for worship, and on Sabbath they met with the uncle and his family. During the week, Mrs. Moody carried out the work of the family fishing business with the help of her two younger sons, Lloyd, 14, and Roland, 13. We grew up fast, remembers Roland. We had a mother and little sister to help. In order to help their family survive, Lloyd and Roland had little time for school as they worked as commercial fishermen near their home. By the time they left their teens, the young men had not yet finished at the rural public school. Early each morning, Roland, who was now twenty, built a fire in the school's wood stove so the place would be warm when the students arrived. During those early mornings, Roland not only warmed up the classroom... He also took the opportunity to get to know the school's beautiful young teacher, 
Miss Jackie. By the end of the year, they were married and set up a home beside Lake Aleknegek. Well, the story stops here, and it says at the bottom of the page, continued next week. So, please study the lesson next week and listen for the rest of this story. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.